From the Ecology Prime Studios, this is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Aparicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers and a forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions. We ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day, political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole and sacred America, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one, and this time not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. Today, we will be talking about social and ecological healing, addressing the primary wound of separation. The primary wound at the root of social and ecological dysfunction is separation. While ancient humans understood life as a blessing and humanity's health as inextricably tied to the health of the earth, moderns have come to imagine that we are separate from both the natural world and each other. These expressions of separation have not only led to environmental pillaging and hoarding of resources, they have also led to existential and social isolation, despair, depression, rage, racial prejudice, sexism, religious fundamentalism, war, and genocide. We can bring about social and ecological healing only if we address the primary wound of separation. Reconnecting with nature is the axis for change. We will never heal without first acknowledging that our current relationship with the natural world is one of power over nature, and then consciously changing from a dominator mentality to one of partnership. Similarly, relationships between perpetrators and victims will not change until one group acknowledges what they have done to the other. Without doing so, victims tend to perpetuate the cycle of violence, becoming oppressors of new victims. An honest encounter with wounding is the only way to deconstruct the prevailing false narratives and create a healthier story. In the late 1990s, Judith Thompson and James O'Dea began their collaboration in the emergent field of social healing with initial funding from the Fetzer Institute. They created a forum for dialogue around the deeper psychological and social context of human rights violations. They they gathered thought leaders from around the world to create a framework for addressing worldview change around social healing. And then they took their work to Israel, Palestine, Rwanda, and Northern Ireland, among other places. They they addressed social healing through constellation work, talking circle dialogue, and restorative justice practice, among other modalities. And they helped interrupt that intergenerational transfer of wounds that we've come to expect among war-torn populations. While their work was successful, much remains to be done. And we're gathered today, you know, amid worldwide simultaneous ecological, social, political, and health crises, big time. And uh, James and Judith are joining us for a discussion of strategies for how to cope with and transform historical trauma and wounding into healing. So I'm very happy to to uh, bring uh, James O.D. and Judith Thompson here on the program. Uh, welcome. I hope you're doing doing well today. 
Uh, and I want to introduce our guest first, first James O.D. Um, James has had varied organizational leadership roles as president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, executive director of SEVA Foundation, and director of the Washington Office of Amnesty International. James lived in Turkey during civil strife and a coup, and he was in Beirut during the Israeli invasion and subsequent massacres in the Sabra refugee camps, and he helped facilitate social healing dialogues in these global hotspots. As lead faculty for the Shift Network's Peace Ambassador Training, he has taught peacebuilding peace to more than a thousand students from 30 countries. He's the best-selling author of books such as The Conscious Activist, Soul Awakening Practice, and cultivating peace. And he integrates his teaching and activism with a deep and practical mysticism and the cultivation of compassionate wisdom. And, you know, and James has also participated in the language of spirit dialogues that took place between 1999 and 2011 when I was director of the Seed Institute. So that's where I met James and I'm so happy to be uh, in conversation with him today. Now, Judith Thompson has been engaged in projects promoting social healing for close to four decades, working primarily with survivors of war and political violence. Her research interests have focused on how compassion arises in the process of social healing, and she has written and and spoken on this topic worldwide. In 1984, Thompson co-founded Children of War, Inc., an award-winning international youth leadership organization that supported the vision and leadership of young activists from 22 war-torn countries. Thompson has also helped to develop social healing programs in Israel, Palestine, and Cambodia, and for the past few years has been working closely with indigenous elders from North, Central, and South America who are seeking to support worldwide social and ecological healing through their traditional ceremonies. Thompson is a longtime board member of the Center for Psychology and Social Change, affiliated with Cambridge Hospital, and she co-chairs the Spirit and Human Rights Initiative funded by the Fetzer Institute. She's also on the advisory board of One by One, Inc., an organization dedicated to bringing second-generation Holocaust survivors together for dialogue and healing. And she's been the recipient of the Bunting Peace Fellowship at the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Studies and the International Peace Prize of the Dolores Cole Education Foundation. And she's, you know, her work in forgiveness projects, restorative justice, trauma, healing together with James is part of why we brought them here. But but, uh, James was very clear with me right away. He doesn't want to talk about only the past. He wants to talk about what, how this could be applied to the, to what is going on now. And I think that's an excellent idea. But I have just great high regard for the work you've, you've done together and what you bring to the world. So thank you. Welcome both. Thank you. Um, how are you? Nice to be with you. Good. Uh, thank you. Um, okay. Well, the first question I want to ask you is, uh, you know, you you mentioned in your in your document about uh, about uh, in the social healing project that uh, Albert Einstein uh, had a had a question that he held dear, near and dear to his heart. So I I think it is a good question to ask for both of you, and that's really simply: Is the universe friendly? <laughs> 
Is the universe friendly? That's and I I I go to uh, uh, Judith first. If you, uh, I would say so. Yes, um, I think you know part of the wound of separation, the primal wound of separation, is uh, a, a symptom of that. Is the very fact that we don't uh, feel that friendliness. We don't integrate that friendliness. We uh, exist in uh, various kinds of splits and unbalance and brokenness that uh, foreclose the possibility of our feeling that friendliness uh, to a large extent. I think um, that's one of the symptoms of being out of balance is not being able to align with the truth of interconnectivity and the truth Mm -hmm. of uh, prime love in this universe that really is the animating spirit of all things. So my answer would be absolutely. Mm. Mm. Thank you. And James, is the universe friendly? I think the universe is designed for learning mm. and the purpose of learning is the growth of consciousness mm. from limited consciousness to universal consciousness and in our journey through this learning vehicle we can experience dreadful suffering Mm. and incredible bliss. And both are part of the whole story. I believe it is a nurturing universe. I believe that it is a universe that wants to lead us to absolute infinite truth and in that truth is love and peace but to get there is not easy and our ignorance causes deep deep suffering Mm. beautiful Beautiful. So, so that you both approach that in two different ways, but one thing that you're very much agreeing on is around wholeness, wholeness. And I, and I sense that, you know, a lot of your work has to do with wholeness because I mean, the very word healing comes from, you know, from being whole, you know, from the hell and whole. Um, and we're not too far after uh, Yom Kippur today, um, um, which is a day of atonement, but etymologically a day of at-one-ment. Um, so I'm wondering if you, could, if you could speak about how your work in social healing has worked from, how do you, how do you, uh, uh, foster this journey from fragmentation and polarization to coherence and wholeness. It's, 
please answer any way you 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 wish and and feel free to speak to it in in depth how do you foster the journey from the fragmentation and polarization that people seem to be sometimes stuck in and move them into uh, coherence and wholeness uh well i'll i'll take a, a stab at that i i think it's a it's a complex uh, question, meaning, you know, as someone who lived uh, with a photographer for 27 years, I often think about, you know, I'm, I'm looking at something and what lens am I using? Am I using my telephoto my lens, my close-up lens, my, my wide-angle lens? So I think there are a lot of different ways of approaching that. Um, and one of them has to do with first of all, understanding what your, your undergirding story is. So what's, what's the big story? Uh, and I think we are at a moment of being, in a sense, between stories and the, the, the kind of prevalent story that has uh, precipitated so much suffering has to do with this sense of separation. And Glenn, you, you framed it very beautifully at the beginning of, of, of the podcast, all of the various ways that separation looks. Um, you know, it, it, for me personally, my, my interest where my heart is called is to look at uh, compassion and what compassion is and how compassion is uh, is cultivated and 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 why it matters and basically compassion is an energy that is coming from the heart that is aligning us with something with a with a and the truth of our system which is that everything is relational we are not we cannot be separate parts and what happens in any form of separation is that we withdraw into a sense of our own story, which becomes very static and unmoving. And when we, so dialogue for me is a very big part of this. I mean, you, you, there are many relational movements that happen with social healing. You started with talking about Yom Kippur atonement, mm -hmm. acknowledgement. I mean, atonement and acknowledgement are, key and cleansing and one of the things that we're seeing now in this country is our how our shadow material our refusal our denial of the deep deep wounds that were forged at the you know beginning of the the settlement of this land this country by by uh colonialists, what happened to Native Americans, what happened with slavery, sort of an original sins that are not at all original, because as we know, you know, trauma, we have generations, millennia of trauma. We live in a traumatogenic culture, essentially, if you talk about mainstream culture. So there are many relational movements. Acknowledging is one of them. It's cleansing. We need to learn how to lament. We need to learn how to grieve. We need to learn how to face the shadows, understanding that if we can be in a position of compassionate listening to the other, then a magic happens. 
a third force, a force that happens between us. And that force changes the valence of everything else. It moves us from a dark place to a light place because it's lining up with the truth of what is. And the truth of what is, is interconnectivity. And we need to be able to feel that interconnectivity in a way that lines us up with that which is true. That which is true is that we are relational. It is an interconnected world. Um, And cutting ourselves off stops us from our ability to feel our connectivity. And once we stop feeling our connectivity and become isolated, it's way too easy to become absolutely immobilized in 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 a story of being in the trenches of fear and what we see going on right now uh, with the extremism is really staying fixed in a place of fear. So dialogue, I mean, Martin Buber, all life is meeting, you know, all life is meeting. So how can we be in dialogue with the other in a way that helps to cultivate compassion Mm -hmm. and these kinds of relational movements of acknowledgement and, uh, you know, compassion for self, which is absolutely crucial because we're sitting on toxic shame. What you see happening now in this culture is Mm -hmm. a huge eruption of toxic shame. And so we need to be able to find ways and containers to allow that to come out in ways that will release it, where we can be in a stance of compassionate listening. I mean, the heart math work, you know, has shown us what the power of the heart's energy and the heart's brain is, you know, 5,000 times the force of brain waves, what are Mm. our heart waves and our heart waves, that sense of love entrains our mind as well and becomes a carrier of energy, of empathy, of compassion, which can entrain larger and larger groups of people. So I'm, I'm just coming at it from one perspective myself. This has been, where I've wanted to look is how do you bridge between self and other? And it's applicable to humans and the natural world as well, because Mm. we can feel the heart of Gaia. I mean, we can, we can tune into that heart. We can receive that love and we can give that love. And that is what makes the shift happen. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. Um, James, I want to ask you the same question, if you could address the journey from fragmentation and polarization to coherence and wholeness, how you foster that, but, and, and feel free to connect that to what's going on, um, as Judith was doing too, to what is going on today, perhaps in this country, if you want, or, uh, or connected to, well, that, that, let's just stop there for now. Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. And thank you, Judith. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Powerful synthesis. Mm. In some ways, we are a paradox inside a conundrum, inside <laughs> an enigma, because one part of our being is eternally inviolate. The soul in its essence does not imprint with 
the daily existence of life. So we have infinite love, infinite pure truth within us as a witnessing seed. And then we have all kinds of impressions. And let me say, I don't believe we are separate from the natural world. We are the frogs, the toads, the cockroaches. Mm -hmm. We are all these things. We are the connected voice of all the instincts and impressions in nature itself. And nature cries out to us to be an evolving, coherent voice within us of them. So our learning process is on behalf of Baha'u. We are not, ecology and humanity are not separate things at all. Our learning is ecological learning. Mm. It's, it's messed up at times, <laughs> but, and it is deeply wounded at times. But we also have to say that it's, it reveals incredible creativity in both what we're calling the natural world and the human world. And that creativity can come together so that we can live in balance and one of the things that Judith and I experienced on the road was, as I think she was alluding to, that sense that when you bring people together in dialogue, when you listen in a deeply sensorial way, that people experience wholeness, unity, healing, forgiveness, because we are tuning into that essence that I was referring to. And that's why it's so confusing because we have imprinted fight, flight, mm. animal instincts. We have impressions that have been created around our own trauma and abuse. And yet we also have this other capacity. I was just seeing Judith, the other day that Richard Moore, whom I think we both met in Northern Ireland 
a boy who was 11 years old when he was shot point blank with a point range with a rubber bullet by a British soldier and he was blinded. And he talks about in his life that this blindness became a gift. Mm. In fact, he was in, we not only met him in Northern Ireland, we met him at the Cambridge Dialogue, but he, he rose up. He said, I was blinded, but the blindness gave me a voice. I got to meet the Dalai Lama and all kinds of amazing things. And one sees that rising up, that capacity for the humans to resolve pain. And as I was saying, I just saw recently that the soldier who blinded him recently met him and apologized and asked for forgiveness. So we have these innate capacities for love, compassion, forgiveness, resolution, restorative justice. We have all these capacities and yet we have a myriad field of trauma and separative impressions that create the kind of danger that now exists in America where just a few days ago, we heard of a right-wing militia in its plans to kidnap the governor of Michigan, put her on trial and execute her for treason. We have wounds that deep, but maybe I've said enough for the moment. Wow. Wow. Judith, did you want to add something to that? I think you do. Well, yeah, yeah. it's just wonderful always to be in dialogue with James. (laughs) Miss you, guy. Nice (laughs) to see you and be with you. Um, I'm recently I have begun to do a deeper exploration into. um, Well, I've, I've begun to do some work with people who are called formers. These are people who've been neo-Nazis and white supremacists and who are helping people to get out of those movements. Mm. And um, uh, in fact, going to be um, moderating, I'll put in a little plug here, uh, a, a group of an international webinar where one of them, Tony McAleer, uh, is going to be present. Belvi Rooks, who uh, mm. we know well and James knows, is going to be a part of that. Uh, and Rosalie Jarrett, who's with the organization One by One that brings together children of Holocaust survivors and children of of Nazis. One of the most inspirational things I have found ever, and you get a sense of how big the energy is when you do this kind of work, is what happens with 
when you when you have a, the right container and the right conditions to bring together people who are very 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 much on opposite ends of of history of, of the perpetrator victim uh, dynamic and of course we know that most perpetrators have been victims so it's a cycle in any case there's not that clear demarcation uh, and. What Tony McAleer says, basically, is that the thing that, A, that almost universally men, because it is almost universally men, who are neo-Nazis and white, white supremacists and move into extremist groups, have been severely abused as, as children, mm. most but not all. And they suffer from humiliation and toxic shame. We need to understand what that's about. We understand, have to understand that there's a loss of self and a loss of story. There is no story that brings them a sense of pride. So they look to find that. And the thing that has healed them, I recommend a film to you mm. called Healing from Hate, magnificent mm. film, uh, is the compassionate, being held compassionately by the other, particularly the other who has been their target for their hate. Mm -hmm. And there's an absolutely alchemical thing that happens when you get people in a room who are in a sense opposites of each other. We saw this James with Marion Gottfried. Uh, Gottfried, a former Hitler youth, Mary, uh, daughter of Holocaust survivors. And as Gottfried put it, there was a bridge across the abyss between the otherness that they felt for each other when they were able to sit with it, 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 not without necessarily without fear, but with a sincere heart to come into a dialogue where there was a will to openness, a willingness to open. And when you're willing to open, you've created an open system that allows energy, information, heart space to flow between people. And I think the most inspirational thing, it's why I love this work, is to be in the presence of the healing and repair that begins to happen in relationship between so-called victims and perpetrators. It takes a special kind of courage and that courage permeates the room, that vulnerability, that will to be open, to face whatever it is you've done and to face whatever it is you're feeling in your, in your pain of, of having been done to, if you will. Mm. It absolutely changes the energy. It creates a bridge across the abyss. And you get the sense of the transpersonal nature of that. That is not just something happening in that room. That is something that is happening because you are in that field. You have tapped into that field. You are both receiving that field and amplifying that field so when victims of the Holocaust and former Nazis get together, they're not just healing for themselves. They are healing for the whole. And that's what happens anytime people come together in the nature of that kind of healing crucible. They are healing for the whole. They are creating, uh, they are both receiving and giving the energy of love and compassion and truth uh, and, and amplifying that particular field. It's, it's, it's an amazing, uh, I feel so privileged 
you know, to be, to be able to be present uh, with people who are um, tapped in to that place and who are creating that alchemy. Thank um, you. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so, so beautiful though. Uh, and that's why, you know, uh, uh, you know, in a in native talking circle, in Plains Indian talking circle, when Leroy Little Bear was uh, uh, the Blackfoot elder, was moderating the language of spirit dialogues that uh, uh, James and I have participated in, um, we always left an opening. We left an opening, an opening to the east, just like you're saying, Judith, because it's it's really about that opening is allowing spirit to flow through the room. And David Bohm understood some of this as well, you know, that 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 thought was, you know, ultimately coming from the implicate order. You know, it's it's moving through the room. And some mystics like Joseph Rael or beautiful painted hour used to see the the spirals of energy moving through the room and how they how they kind of caressed and moved between people and just permeated and filled the room and it's it's just like you're speaking about and and uh i thank you for the uh, the reference of the what was the film healing from hate healing from hate healing from hate yeah, yeah. and have yeah. you have you both uh read the book by uh eli saslow yes. rising out of hatred the awakening mm. of a former white nationalist marvelous uh, yeah that is yeah. a marvelous book too and and a little like in a dialogue circle i mean the it seemed to me that the key thing that that healed this uh, Derek Black, who was the godson of uh, David Duke, and you know being groomed to be uh, uh, a leader in the white nationalist movement, what healed him? He went to college, and for some reason, he was befriended by people who actually didn't judge him; they listened to him. You know, and there was a Jewish woman and a black, you know, and it just. And after a while, his his structures in which he had framed the world started to fall apart. It was really, really quite interesting. But 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 it's but but he also held on to certain things. You know, I mean, the thing that he lost, that that was hardest for him to lose was the idea that you know that that the that whites were being persecuted in some way. You know, which you see at the core of uh, of white nationalism. Um, so uh, I wanted to. Uh, not shift, but hopefully even go a little deeper because, you know, I was rereading a passage in, in, in your book, The Conscious Activist, James, <laughs> uh, last evening. And you told a story about how you first started to work with Jean Houston. Um, and you contacted her because you were working, I think, at Amnesty International and you're working on, um, on getting nations to overturn the death penalty. And you you sent Gene Houston a document, and you you know you you somehow got found out how to contact her, sent her the document, and you and you called upon her to ask her for her feedback, and you were a little surprised that she said to you basically that you know this document isn't going to work because you can't you cannot decondition people by presenting images and stories that have conditioned them in the first place, you know, and then, and then she took you into this kind of deep exploration into story, you know, and I think you, you tell the story of uh, ISIS and Osiris, but, 
but the way that you, you you relate it in the book, and please share some of that here. I mean, you 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 moved in the story in this kind of penetrating, deep way that, that and 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 through that, you you had a new understanding of how maybe you could change this these cycles of violence, the relationship between the oppressor and the oppressed. And I'm sure there's other stories that have moved you in certain ways, and Judith as well. And I just, so I wanted to ask you, James, first, if you can talk about that, and we'll see what comes up. So how do we, how do we move, really? I guess my question is, you know, how do we, how do we, move into a story that is not just rooted in the conditioning of the old story. That's a truly, uh, a true opening to change. Yes. I think Gene, more than anybody I know, understands that in myth, there is a, tremendous intergenerational gift of wisdom to be shared and that myth has that power to encapsulate the human condition and the wisdom that is needed. I remember when Jean and I connected some more going to her mystery school and doing an enactment of the myth from the Kalahari people Mm. and telling the story of the Kalahari tale of the coming of all devourer Mm all devourer and the tuk-tuk their little figure of the godhead calls all the animals together and says all devourer is going to eat and destroy everything. It's noisy, it eats rivers, it eats lakes, it eats forests. It's a destroyer. And Porcupine stands up and says, I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to hang around because I have two children to protect. The child of the right hand which is the child of will and the child of the left hand, which is the child of compassion. And I must save them and protect them. And sure enough, the old devourer comes and devours all the animals, including the little tuk-tuk and except for porcupine and porcupine then says to her children rise up go split open the belly of old devourer while it's sleeping while it's sated 
is an incredible instruction actually for our time. Recognize the time we're in. All devourer has devoured too much and is sated. So before it begins an even more desperate cycle, go and open the belly. And they do that. And when they open the belly, there in shining light are all the animal beings. And Tuk Tuk mm. says, from inside the belly of all devourer and outside of the belly of all devourer, our story is told, our story is complete. So we have this inner, you know, inside the army, inside of politics, inside of the devouring machine are the forces that will transform and outside the protesters, the right hand and left hand coming together, will and compassion opening it up. There is so much wisdom in that story for our time, we could spend the rest of our conversation on it. <laughs> yeah. Gene, masterful Gene, has that capacity to go into mythology and see this ecology of wisdom that is needed. Mm, mm. Beautiful. Oh, my. Um, Judith, uh, I want to ask you, um, but, you know, I'm just so enjoying this dialogue, by the way. Thank you so much, both of you. Um, to build on a little bit of what James is saying, I feel that, you know, in the last 500 years, or maybe even longer, maybe a couple millennia, you know, it seems like humanity has been going on that kind of all-devouring patriarchal journey, largely, where we're a uh, um, journey of colonization, moving and taking in of land and um, and and in that we've we've severed our relationship with the earth because you know it seems to me the seed of colonization is is leaving behind local knowledge and and abstracting knowledge and taking it with you you know and it's somehow superior where you go and it, it's 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 uh, and that has that has affected not just indigenous peoples, but it's affected the way we, we, we interact with the earth and it's affected the way we, we honor the sacred role of women as life givers that are in tune with the rhythms of the earth, in tune with the rhythms of a local place. So I, 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 the reason why I'm asking you this, this is uh, something that deeply troubles me is in the, in the modern approach uh, to climate change, we are uh, 
we seem to ask the wrong question, it seems to me anyway. We're asking the question of, you know, whether how is humanity affecting the earth? But like, like we started out here today talking about the key thing we need to address is the wound of separation. So, so is that the right question or should we be thinking in terms more of, of what we can learn from climate change and how everything is interconnected? Um, and what is the role of women to, to bring this back into awareness? I hope you're following me here. I'm asking you a lot of things, but, but, uh, uh, because, uh, please, please, please give it your best. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you've asked a lot there. Um, let me just pick up maybe one thread of it. <laughs> um, I think part part of what's happened with the split and the old story and the the uh, dominator model, if you will, um, and what's coming with the new story, because I think it's in, I think social healing, uh, I think ecological healing is 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 a new story in a way. Meaning, um, we're we're needing to kind of reparent our own consciousness. We need we need to bring in. Uh, the feminine, the maternal, and we're not talking about just a gendered thing, obviously. Mm -hmm. We know that those uh, elements exist within us all. But I think um, it's true on all the various levels that we want to look at, structural levels, uh, very interpersonal levels or internalized levels. Um, The feminine uh, has been... um, Sub, not subdued, but what's the word? Subjugated. It's the word I'm looking for. Uh, there, you know, the in in the practice of compassion in many different communities, it's called thinking like a mother. You know, maternal mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, when and 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 the reverse of this is important, which is means the socialization of men and what has happened to masculinity. And I do think that the masculine-feminine uh, framework is crucial to look at when we're looking at ecological balance, ecological healing, and social healing. Any of it, it's uh, it's 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 a key key pillars of why we're out of balance. Um, your question about climate change, and um, you know. How do we move into right relationship? I mm-hmm. think James said, you know, it's not that there's humanity and there's nature. It's, it's all, as we know, all, all one. But the, the uh, ignorance and the imbalance has created separation. So, yes, I do think in some ways that it is still, for me, a key uh, a key framework is separation. And, and, and if we wanted to take the deepest lens or the longest lens, I think it's a sense of our sense of separation from our creator. I mean, it's, it's the sense of separation from God It is that sense that, and with that comes the, uh, comes huge disempowerment. I mean, 
if we if we understood, if we lived into, if we opened to, if we aligned with the absolute truth of ourselves as expressions of the animating force of the universe, God, creator, whatever it is, then really none of the rest of this would be happening. We would understand ourselves. We would be embodying God force, but we're, we're, that's occluded for us. And part of why it's occluded is because we've lost the story. We've lost the story. Now, what is it that allows or has allowed in the past so many indigenous communities to remain closer to their awareness and expression of being expressions of creator, let us say. And I think part of that is the story, the creation stories, the story upon which their communities uh, are grounded and fertilized are, have not left them. There's been great damage within the communities by, you know, traumas that have been introduced in different ways, but there is a coherent story. And so much of Western culture has replaced a coherent loving story with this dominator story. Mm-hmm. And I think so part of what we have to do is we need to restory mm-hmm. uh, our, our, ourselves, you know, our lives, our culture. Um, and, and, and we have to unhook ourselves in a sense from an entrainment that we all have too with the negative story. I mean, we need to be able to notice when we're hooked into the negative story and we need to be able to draw back you know, within a calm place within ourselves and reconnect with a truer story, with the truth of interconnectivity. And we need to be able to cultivate that space. So I'm not, I don't know if I'm answering your very broad question. You're doing uh, great. <laughs> but um, I think story is really a big part of it. Yeah. And that's what this mythic, you know, that's what James, you just explained too. That was a, a crucial teaching story. That story will remain imprinted. Uh, in, in, in the minds of those who hear it. And, and those stories are powerful. And that's what dialogue brings us to. That's what happens when people heal together. Those, they are creating a new story. And we are sharing those stories. We're sharing those stories as inspiration, as something to entrain to, as something to up-level, you know, the, 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 the global conversation, the global dialogue, the field of our, of our awareness. And I think as we do that, we cannot but come into a harmony with, uh, with our great, greater global um, ecology, uh, you know, Gaia herself, um, that of which we are born from which we are born. You know, we need to come back to the mother and, uh, and that's doable. It's happening. I mean, I think when you ask the question of what are the steps, how do we do it? There are many, many, possible entry points into this system that help to change and shift this system. Um, new stories, uh, compassionate listening, creating containers that shift the resonance of things um, through openness, through vulnerability, through um, yes. you know, compassion. 
Yes. I, I'd I, like I, to jump in here. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because we are made for a story. If we, you know, I so agree with you, Joe. Narrative is essential. And some of us are experiencing birthing of the story. What is that, that some of us are carriers of the new story that say, we're on track actually to birth a new humanity, that this level of chaos is essential to reconfigure at the level of complexity needed for a whole earth transition. Mm. And we feel it completely sensorially. We know it as truth. And, and so what I was saying at the beginning is, even in our neurology, when we look at how the nervous system works, how psychology works, it's all around narrative. We know that we have these mirror neurons that keep us in the story of reality as it's presented to us. We are not separate in our brains from what is outside. It's the most remarkable thing that we can at any point fire and wire neural pathways that open up new possibilities from us. And that goes back, that to me is the thread in this conversation that, you know, all of the wounding and suffering all of the greatness and generosity and compassion and forgiveness mm. are the warp and weave of a story that brings us into a consciousness of wholeness. I think this spiral dynamics theory mm. is a good general mapping of story. We have the spiral of military, soldier, warrior domination, but also the positive side of that the protector, the one who gives his life or her life for the community. Mm. And we have the truth keepers, the presenters of the moral order, 
and the truth, moral truth principles. And again, they lift us into a moral order and their shadow is dogmatism and rigidity and my truth over your truth. Mm -hmm. And then we have the spiral of the economic conversion of what is needed for billions of people and the creativity, the extraordinary creativity of that model and the shadow of the greed and desecration that it occurs. So at every step in the story, we have the luminous and the shadow and in spiral dynamics, the emergent spiral is called the green spiral of ecology and community. And its shadow is collective thinking over individuality. It tends to minimize the individual and and then in spiral dynamics, there is this second tier, the one that I was telling you, we feel in our bones, Mm. the birth of a collective intuitive psychic connectivity at a whole earth, whole earth level. And I just want to say again that we are wired for a story and that I think there are reflections in nature. I heard recently about ant colonies. I don't know if you know about this story, but ants usually live in colonies of a few hundred to a thousand, and they are very territorial and competitive for resources. I mean, it's a mirror of the human competition, fight for resources, keep the other colony out. But there has been the emergence of super colonies with millions of ants and they are working together collaboratively for resources. And I just think that's a beautiful mirror of what we can become. And that Judith and I have in us some deep and ancient knowing that as deep as the wounds get and how the wounds can in fact become elements of perpetration 
when they mm. are not dealt with. Mm. As deep as those that wounding goes, we have we have witnessed over both of our careers humanity rising out of this wounding into super colonies of collaboration where individual inspiration and soul revelation is not compromised by the group, but is a contribution to group soul identity. Wow. Wow. Well, I, you know, we could talk for hours. I'm getting the sense. And I, I really, you know, as, as far as the podcast goes, we're going to have to, we're going to have to press stop soon, but I just wish we, we can keep talking. Um, this is so beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I just, one thing that you said at the end, James, and I'm, I'm going to, I, 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 I did learn from David Bohm that, you know, ultimately the word individual comes from indivisible. So, I mean, there is perhaps a way that the individual is indivisible with the, with the whole, um, the, and, and so, oh my God, um, I thank you so much for both of the work that you have been doing and, uh, and the work that continues Thank you for this beautiful conversation. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, Bizgenics, and the Ecology Prime Media Channel, Native Flute Music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathways CD, Liberty Song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey, Post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies. The Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on Earth. For more information or to volunteer to help produce this podcast, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us. You can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics there. And for a limited time, we're now selling Making America Sacred Again hats, which is a, which is a fundraiser for the, for the, for the Navajo Nation, um, which is, of course, has the, you know, the highest institute incidence per capita of COVID. So we're, we're trying to help the Navajo Nation. So thank you for listening. Thank you, Judith. Thank you, James wonderful deep dialogue and until next week many blessings of uh, good health and well-being to all